Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Uh, today, I'm going to share with you a conversation with a Trappist monk on the four stages of prayer. And so my life, as some of you may know, was profoundly altered in 2003 when I actually visited a Trappist monastery for the first time. Actually, it was my first time ever visiting a monastery, period. I just wanted to learn about slowing down for Jesus and what might be some of the implications they would have for me as you know, pastoring uh, an inner city church here in New York. Uh, I had no idea it was going to alter my life. Uh, I felt like I'd gone back. I went back into history uh, thousands of years ago when I entered that monastery. And it was really there, uh, beginning in 2003, with the Trappist that I began to learn about, learn experientially about silence and stillness and, and prayer uh, on a level I never had experienced before that. And for probably the next 12, 13, 14 years, uh, yearly, I'd go back to the same monastery uh, for retreats, for whether it be for a few days or a week. And I got to know some of the monks personally, uh, although most of the time on retreat would be spent in silence. Uh, but I learned a great deal. Uh, and of course, I learned from other monks as well. But the Trappist, whom I like to call the SWAT team of monks, were a particular gift to me. And I re- remember the, the challenge of, and I would go every time, and I, I joined them in their life of, of, of the daily office. And we would wake up at, we'd have our first office at 3.45 in the morning, middle of the night. And then we meet again at 6 o'clock in the morning, then at, for lauds, and then 6.25 for prime. And then we'd meet at noon for sext, another office. And then at 2 o'clock for another office. And Vespers at 5.40, and then Compline at 7.40 p.m. And then boom, to bed. and do it again. So, I, I again, I, I, I was so blessed and, and uh, by my time with them and over the years, and I always wanted to bring them to our church so we could learn. Because I, I, I am so convinced that the riches of the larger church around the world, uh, whether it's from Orthodox, Roman Catholic, different Protestant streams, uh, as well as just culturally the global church around the world through 2,000 years of church history is critically important for us as we navigate following Jesus in our day, uh, today. Uh, and so, in fact, if you've never uh, read the, the ebook that we offer for free called Why Church History Matters and, the, and Accessing the Treasures of Church History, uh, I want to invite you to, to do download that uh, on our website. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church history. Uh, that's it. Emotionalhealthy.org slash church history. Uh, it's, a, it's a great little introduction to why we must learn from the wider church while remaining at the same time uh, the riches of our own tradition and stream. Uh, and so, uh, again, the desert tradition going back to Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, desert fathers, etc., offer great gifts to us uh, while remaining faithful to ours. And so what I want to offer you now is to listen in on a a Sunday service in which uh, I interview Father Menninger, who had been a Trappist monk for 51 years. Uh, And if you want to learn about prayer, and he'll talk about the four stages of prayer and contemplative prayer, etc., I mean, uh, they're not going to come to a much better source uh, than a Trappist like Father Menninger. And was so blessed that he was, at that time, the only Trappist uh, in the world that I know of that was traveling and speaking to to churches. And what a gift. So sit back, enjoy it. Uh, this will be a gift to you on multiple levels. So enjoy. Let's give a wise warm welcome to Father William here is with us today. 
welcome. Now, when you come into New Life, uh, you'll see our mission statement in that entranceway, and it says, our mission is to lead people to a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So whether you don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, we want you to begin one. Or if you have one, we want, our, our prayer is that you'll deepen it. So we're, we're all about having communion with God. Uh, that's our goal as a church, to grow in that. And so we talk, so, so our, our theme is communion with God, learning from the Trappists uh, today. And um, so you've seen me present this here on, on a Sunday at different points, a view of church history. And it's kind of important to frame what we're doing here in that context. Uh, if you look at the first, there's three, there's three main branches of Christianity in the world. There's the Eastern Orthodox churches, there's the Roman Catholic churches, and there are the Protestant churches. For the first 1,054, there was only one main branch of Christianity. It was called the One Holy Catholic with a small c, or universal church. And uh, basically, if you were in the church, you belonged to the church. And, uh, but in 1054, there was a division of the Eastern Church and the Western Church in 1054 A.D. Very complex, political, cultural, you know, theological, linguistic. It, it was quite complicated. But if you lived in the eastern part of the world, I'm talking about Syria, Palestine, Egypt, Ethiopia, present-day Iraq, that was the eastern churches. They still exist today. If you lived to the west, Rome, and to the west, you were going to be Roman Catholic. And, and uh, that was the great, you know, the great split. They didn't speak until the 1960s, actually. And, and so here it was, the great schism. Uh, but then, and this, this diagram actually comes from an eastern Orthodox uh, priest or theologian. And then in 1517, there was what's called the Protestant Reformation, which launched out with Martin Luther, a split in the Roman Catholic Church. And then and you'll see, notice in there, in 1529, there was another split with the Anglican Church in England. And then since then, there's been a couple of hundred thousand or more splits in different Protestant denominations and churches. And so we at New Life Fellowship, we are, if you remember, where are we as the church? The answer is we're somewhere over here, all right? We're, we're off the chart. Uh, but we're, we're – because uh, we're in the Protestant tradition, uh, but we're part of a family, a church family of all those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of what church you go to. And true Christians exist within the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox churches, as well as the Protestant church. And, uh, and so we recognize that, that New Life Fellowship, since our mission – is to deepen our communion with God, it is essential that rather than judge traditions different than us, we want to learn from them. And so towards that end, uh, over the years in New Life, we talk a lot about uh, the Desert Fathers and monasticism, and, and, uh, and so I've always wanted to bring a Trappist monk to New Life. And so when Jerry and I were at a place called St. Benedict's, uh, it's one of our values, monastic, slowing down to be with God, we were at this place called St. Benedict's, where uh, Father William is from, last summer for a 10-day retreat, we met Father William. And uh, as far as I know, he's the only Trappist who travels at this point. And, uh, and he was going to be in the East Coast, and so we grabbed him and invited him to be with us, not just for tonight, but he's going to be with us really for the next three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night as well. So uh, we want to give you a warm welcome, Father William. Welcome to New Life. Because we recognize that we have some things we can learn about communion with God from a Trappist and from you, Father William. So here's our text, and we'll hopefully begin with this text, and we will end with this text out of Galatians 4, uh, 4 to 7, which it says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's why Christ came, that we might be adopted as his sons and daughters. 
And because you are sons, God sent the spirit into, of the son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And so it's a theme as the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And that's what we're going to close about what it looks like to, to cry out, Abba, Father, within the contemplative tradition. So, Father Williams, let's begin here. So, why don't you begin by just, just sharing with everybody, what, a, what is a monk? And uh, since some will not be sure, and what's a Trappist monk in particular? Okay. <laughs> Can you hear? Try it again. Keep talking. Keep. Well, because then we can't go back and forth. But let's just try it one more time. Just try it. Oh, uh, uh, now there we are. I, I know. <laughs> um, a monk. Uh, uh, there's some argument as to the origin of the word, but. Most agree that it comes from the Greek word monos, and it, it, it's just kind of a single-mindedness. Uh, a, a monk is, and actually, a monk is a uh, monk is a Protestant um, because uh, monasticism was founded as a protest against the the worldly atmosphere that the church was living in. Actually, in the in the third and fourth century, once it stopped being persecuted. But the monks are ones who have a singular mind uh, that they want to dedicate themselves absolutely, completely, and exclusively to God. And uh, so they, they gather together in communities in which they create an environment which will uh, honor that and support it and further that experience. Now, a Trappist monk... Uh, is a little different among the orders of monks because the monks have taken on, of course, various Christian activities. Uh, monks will teach in schools and colleges and uh, they will run parishes and uh, you know, they will work in hospitals. But the, the Trappist order decided that we were going to be exclusively dedicated to a life of prayer. And so this is what we do and what we are. I have been praying for you for 51 years. Uh, my community has been doing that. Uh, and and we, are, we are totally dedicated to prayer and as a witness to prayer to sort of verify and testify to the Christian world that God is worth living for. Uh, now, see, if you love God, of course, you, you, you have to love your neighbor. And, and monks are not navel-gazers. Uh, uh, the, the fact that you cannot truly love God unless you love your neighbor. So in our single-minded pursuit of union with God, we realize that in, in God's mystery and in the mystery of faith, we are also realizing union with one another. Uh, and, and so we exist. I was quite successful as a parish priest for six years and then eight years in the seminary before I became a monk. And uh, I know I was asked why I was becoming a monk. And, and uh, uh, I, I really had a chance to think this over for five years because we go for five years in preparation 
before we take what we call solemn vows. During that five years, I could have left at any time, or they could have sent me away. I went out to our hermitage for 10 days, and on the first day, I wrote down the reasons why I was becoming a monk. I had about 10 pages. The second day, I reread them, and I dropped off two pages of the less essential reasons. On the third day, I did it again. On the fourth day, and finally on the 10th day, I came down to the reason why I was becoming a monk. Uh, and the reason was, I want to become a monk because I don't have time for anything else except God, even for other good things. So I say that's what a Trappist monk is, one who has time for God, but not for other things, even other good things. So I want you to show you what you were doing prior to becoming a monk. I mean, you were raised in the Boston area. Someone actually asked me, what did you mean before you, know, you became a priest, and, and then why you went from an active pastor into becoming a monk? Uh, well, I was a, a, a diocesan priest in the Diocese of Yakima, Washington, I said, my, when I told my mother I was going to Yakima, she go, oh God, he's going to Japan. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I worked for six years with the, in the area that I was stationed. We had 30,000 migrant Mexican workers come through each year for the crop season, so I worked with them. And then I also worked with uh, uh, Native Americans in the Yakima uh, Indian reservations. Uh, they were very, very poor at the time. Now they have a casino. <laughs> they won't even talk to me. <laughs> but I, I, I came, the Holy Spirit brought me to that realization, okay, you're doing good things. And, and I knew I was doing good things, and I was very happy doing them. And I didn't run away from them. I know that, you know, for years after I joined the monastery, I became the vocational director I screen the people who wanted to come to the monastery. First thing I do, by the way, is I send them to a psychiatrist. We assume anybody who wants to become a monk is crazy, you know? <laughs> but really, and in my prayer, and I think the Holy Spirit brought me to this, I want to love God, and I want to love God to the exclusion of everything else. But I knew that when I said exclusion of everything else, I really meant the inclusion of everyone else. I was helping 30,000 Mexican workers. I was helping the tribe of the Yakima Indians. But what about the rest of the world? I wanted to help them too. And, and I knew I could do that in faith. I could do that if I tried to live a life of prayer and closeness to God. And that as I, a member of the body of Christ, drew closer to God in my monastic life, I was bringing the whole world with me closer to God. So uh, I, I really think, I'm really convinced of that, that this is what we do and what we are. So by leaving, serving 30,000 folks as an active pastor and becoming a monk, you're telling me that you did it so you could have a, a bigger impact That's right. in the world. Right. And you believe that happens through prayer. And I've, I've been doing that for 50 years, yes. Okay, good. Why don't you tell a bit about your day? What's it like in a, in a you know, here's uh, where he lives. You know, that's what the uh, St. Benedict's Monastery looks like. So what, what, what's a 
you know, briefly, what's a typical day look like? Well, our day is structured uh, to facilitate prayer. And we, we pray what we call the divine office. That is, we, uh, once every two weeks, we sing the entire Psalter. We do more than that because we do many of the Psalms. We repeat them. And we do it seven times a day, starting at uh, 4.30 in the morning and ending at 7 o'clock at night. We meet together and chant the book of Psalms. Uh, and, and that sort of gives a structure to our day. And we even use that as a time. For example, we would say, well, you know, after vigils, that is the 4.30 in the morning praise, we'll do this or that, or I'll see you before vespers, before our evening prayer. And then we have the noontime prayer and the midnoon prayer. And then we have the morning prayer of Lord's. Uh, so the day is permeated. It comes from Psalm 117, or seven times a day, uh, do I praise you? And, and so our day is sort of divided into that seven times a day. In between that times, we, do, we work. We, the rule of St. Benedict says that monks should earn their living through manual labor. So uh, uh, we don't beg. We don't, uh, uh, we don't take up collections. Uh, uh, we earn our living. And uh, we do that basically at Snowmass in two ways. We have a ranch. Uh, our monastery is 4,000 acres. Uh, that's a, not an unusually large Colorado ranch. We have 500 head of cattle and 100 horses. Um, we also have about 500 coyotes, uh, two, 3,000 deer, a couple of hundred elk, millions of porcupines. Uh, <laughs> foxes, you name it, bears, mountain lions. Uh, but we don't own any of them. <laughs> and, and we don't own the cattle or the horses. We board them. We take care of them. And we get paid for doing that. But we do it on our land. So, so we call ourselves cow monks. Uh, now, but in the winter, there's not so much to do with the cows. So we have a bakery in which we bake cookies. And we bake orange almond cookies and oatmeal raisin cookies. And the favorite is chocolate chip cookies. And so we also call ourselves chipmunks. I hope they're organic. Hmm? I hope they're organic cookies. We trust uh, you. They are organic, and, and they, uh, we bless them with our left hands so that there's no calories in them. <laughs> Good. So um, wanted to tell us, what is so your call to a, a contemplative life, this, you know, this Mary Martha thing? You can, what, describe contemplation and what does that look like? I can best describe it to us because we would see ourselves, we're not called to be monks or contemplatives from what we understand of it. So maybe you can expound on what is contemplation? Why is it that we're all called to be contemplatives? Well, of course, the perfect example is Martha and Mary. Uh, you remember that, that uh, Jesus showed up at the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary with 12 friends unexpectedly. And, and, and poor Martha was in the kitchen trying to get up a kosher lunch. Uh, and, and Mary was sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, you can just see Martha. She came in and stood at the doorway, you know. Lord, send my sister out to give me a hand. What's going on here? And, and Mary, Mary was very smart. She didn't say a word. She let Jesus answer. <laughs> and what he said was, Martha, Martha, you're busy about many things, 
but Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. And, and he even says she has chosen the one thing necessary. And that one thing necessary is love of God. Now, I don't, I don't think we are made to understand by this that the world is divided into Martha and Mary's. It isn't. No one is a complete contemplative. No one is a complete active person. We are all called to be combination of both. But I think there is a variety of intensities. I think I'm like among the monks and among the religious orders, the Trappists are called to emphasize the contemplative side, the side of being alone in love with God and sort of growing closer to God and bringing the whole world uh, with you. Others are called to do that, but they're also called to be more active in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, to feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, uh, and, and so forth. Um, I, I, I'm getting a little, am I getting a little off track yeah, here? What is yeah. what is, okay. So define how is contemplation a unique aspect of prayer that God's called you to? All right, contemplation is a form of prayer. Uh, and um, it's, it's like, it, see, prayer is a relationship with God, and we have basically four levels of relationship. I mean, human relationships. Our relationship with God is a human relationship because we're human and we can't have any other kind. So it's like our relationship with one another. And how, how does our relationship go? Well, first of all, let's take a couple. John and Mary, they've never met, okay? They meet. Now, they have the first level of relationship. They're acquainted. We call that acquaintanceship. And there's a language that belongs to that. What's the language you use with your acquaintances? Good morning, nice day. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, I hope we don't get any snow. Yeah, glad we got through Thanksgiving without it. Well, good seeing you. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Haven't you had that conversation a million times? That's acquaintanceship level, okay? And also in prayer, then we have that relationship with God. How did you first be acquainted with God? Well, you were greedy little kids. You found out that God could get you things. And, you know, God bless me and mommy and God get me this and make it a good day for a picnic and a bad day for school and, and so forth. <laughs> acquaintanceship. You go a step further from acquaintanceship to friendship. And in friendship, it's deeper. And there's more of a listening as well as a talking. So you have a friend and you listen while they can share themselves. They listen while you share yourself. All right, we have then a level with God. God shares himself in the scripture. God shares himself in the assembly of the church when you're gathered like you are here this morning. And, and, and so God speaks to you. He speaks to you through the pastor. He speaks to you through the ceremonies. And, and, and you respond in your singing and your assent. So you have the friendship level. Then you have the third level, and it's kind of like what you would call an emotional level or what I call puppy love. This is a conversion. This is when you fall in love with God. Some people call this being born again. Um, others call it the experience of praying in tongues. It's all kind. Catholics call it a conversion. Uh, but but it's, it's, an, it's a whole body and soul wanting to give yourself completely to God in a personal intimacy. So that's your third level. So you have acquaintanceship, friendship, and then you have intimacy. And then there's the next level, the fourth level. And that fourth level is being totally still in a complete faithful union with God, simply knowing that he is God 
and loving him as such. Uh, a couple, John and, John and Mary, meet each other, they're acquaintances. They date for six months, they become friends. They get married and go on their honeymoon, that's the puppy love, the intimacy thing. It's now 40 years later, John is sitting there reading the newspaper, Mary is knitting booties for her great-grandchild, and neither one of them is saying a word, but they are simply present to one another in love. And this is what con contemplation is. It's that fourth level, that being still in the presence of God in love. And this is something we're called to, we're directed to, and we can be taught. And this is what I propose to do on Monday and Tuesday evenings. Well, why don't you expand on what you shared uh, earlier. You emphasized about it's to love God for his own sake, not his gifts. And then even the fact that, the fact that you desire to love God is a great gift. Yes, uh, the first step, you know, in the contemplative journey is that God calls you. You don't do this. You don't do this. You are answering a call. And, and God calls you by giving you a desire for him. Now, please understand this. Every single person here has been given that desire. You would not be here otherwise. And understand this, that if you have that desire for God, you are the richest person in the world. God cannot give you a greater gift than a desire for him. And you know why he gives you that gift? Because he has that desire for you. Uh, so uh, the love of God starts with a desire, then it goes to a clinging, what we call a holding on, we don't let go of this desire. We, like a child grabbing his father around the neck, you know, and the, the stranger's around, and the child's bashful, you know, and he practically chokes his dad, holding on. And somebody tries to take him away, he, he holds on all the tighter. Well, that's, a, that's clinging, you see. Once we have this desire for God, that means we have God. The desire for God is God. And so what do we do then? We cling to it. And how do we cling to it? Why well, we make dates with God. We go to church on Sundays. We, we pray at home. Uh, uh, all kinds of ways, you see. And we're tempted. And, and sometimes laziness, sometimes the world, the flesh, and the devil is calling us away. And what do we do? Well, maybe we fall, but we go back. We cling. That's the second level of love. Third level of love is enjoyment. We really enjoy it. I, saw, I, I experienced that at the beginning of the worship service here when, when we, we sang for half an hour. That was joy. That was really joy. Uh, it, 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 it's appreciating, rejoicing. And that last, that isn't just something you do, uh, you know, on birthdays and holidays. It's even present when you go to funerals. It's present when you're sick in the hospital. It's present when a beloved person dies. It's a joy that is deep and abiding even in the presence of suffering. And then the fourth level is, you, you, you have, so you have acquaintanceship, you have friendship, you have uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the love, and, and that's the equivalent of the joy. And the fourth one, the contemplative union, is really union of wills. When you desire nothing except what God wills for you. In a sense, you have no will of your own because you say, thy will be done. And as they quote that, it's like Psalm 102, 
uh, they put it in the mouth of Jesus, I have come to do your will. And so thy will be done becomes our, becomes our only prayer. And that is when we desire God for his own sake and not for his gifts. We do want his gifts. We do want grace. We do want our daily bread. But particularly at the time of our contemplative meditation, we say, God, I want you and you alone. That's what's known as simplicity of heart. Uh, You know what the opposite of simplicity of heart is? Duplicity of heart. That's not a bad word. But when you say, God, I love you, uh, get me a job, will you? (laughs) God, I love you, cure Aunt Susie of cancer, will you? Now, in the contemplative thing, you just say, God, I love you. That's the purest, highest form of prayer. And actually, that's what God says to us. God looks us in the eye or in the heart, and God says, and I love you. And the experience of that is the experience of contemplation. Okay, um, so I understand that you were involved in the launching of Centering Prayer, which was a, was a desire in the 60s, you and a couple of others, to bring the riches of monastic prayer, contemplation, to the rest of us who are not living within a monastery. So we're going to do this, we're going to spend Monday and Tuesday night, you know, on that. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what does that look, how can, how, what does it look like to have, to be involved in Centering Prayer as a form of prayer? What, what are some elements of that? How do we get there? Just, I know I'm asking you for your four hours in about two minutes. Yeah. You get there by coming Monday and Tuesday yeah, I night. <laughs> when I teach you how to get there. And you actually said to me yesterday that you would love to do, you'd love to have some time with the children here. Yeah. Teach them centering prayer. So maybe next time you're in New York, we're going to yes. bring you over to meet with a couple of hundred kids here at New Life. I taught it to children in 10 minutes. It takes me four hours to teach it to grown ups. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> all right, well, just, <laughs> what, what makes this wordless, explain this, this idea of immediate union. union with God versus through words like scripture or song. Right. Something you may not have thought of before, um, but when we speak to God and we speak of God and we pray to God and when we do theology, which is speculate on God, We use words, ideas, concepts, right? Now, we are limited, finite people. And our words are limited, finite expressions. And God is totally unlimited, infinite. And so our words can never adequately express who God is. Words cannot do it. God is beyond words. He says in Isaiah, My ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my ways from your ways, my thoughts from your thoughts. So we strive, we reach out with our words. And it's good that we should do that. And we pray with our words. And yet our words are inadequate. Our minds, our intellect, which is the origin of our words, cannot grasp the infinite God. But what can grasp the infinite God? Our hearts. We cannot totally understand God, but we can totally love God. 
He whom the mind cannot grasp, the heart can embrace. And so contemplative prayer, then immediate union with God, is an embracing of God. It's, God, I don't really understand you, but I know I can hug you. And that's what contemplative prayer is. It's reaching out and hugging God. And at the same time acknowledging that this is what God is doing to us. So it isn't just me to God, it's primarily God to me, to God to me. So my understanding then, my understanding then is that there's, I, I have, I, I learn these set times of centering prayer, of hugging God, as you say, loving him, allowing him to love me. How does that translate then into my workplace, into school, into my family, as I, as I leave that space with him? Because you can't do it alone. When you love God, now listen to this. This is, this is really, I'll tell you, this is the really one of the most important things that has kept me faithful in over 50 years to my contemplative prayer. When you love God, you love all, everything that God loves. Does that make sense? Two things joined to a third thing are joined to each other. If A is united to B, and C is united to B, A and C are united, okay? If you love God and I love God, you and I are united in the love of God. Okay, what does God love? We, when we love God, we love all whom God loves. God loves the entire cosmos. God loves all of reality which he has created, even to dimensions of reality we don't even know exist. God loves them and we love them when we are united to God in love and especially in the contemplative prayer. When you are engaged in contemplative prayer, you are loving every man, woman, and child that ever existed on the face of the earth. You are loving every man, woman, and child that exists today. Get this. God is beyond time. There's no past or future for the God. It's all present. When you are loving God in your experience of contemplative prayer, you are loving your great, 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 great grandchildren. No one is excluded from your love. This, by the way, is when, why Wednesday, after two nights teaching this contemplative love, I'm going to teach forgiveness because it is necessary. Forgiveness is just the other side of the coin of love. If you're loving God and you're in love with all those whom God is in love with, you cannot have an enemy. You cannot have anyone who is excluded from that love. So you cannot have anyone who is deliberately, consistently excluded from your love and forgiveness. So that's why I teach a workshop on the process of forgiveness, because it's necessary. Well, I have a confession. We love God here at New Life, but we have a lot of people we can't stand. <laughs> so, um, you ins you, when we were together and we talked about you coming out here, you insisted on, not insisted, but you were very strong with me about you really wanted to do a workshop, not simply on centering prayer, but you wanted to have a workshop on forgiveness. Uh, what... What, what would happen there? What, what's, 
what's unique about, what's the integration of contemplative, what's, what's unique about what's going to happen there on Wednesday that, we've heard a lot of sermons on forgiveness, we, we, you know, we, we've heard it all, so I, I know the Bible verses on forgiveness, so what's, what's a fresh perspective that you're going to bring here that... Okay, when you love all whom God loves, which is the experience of contemplative prayer, can, excuse me for being blunt, can you exclude your grandfather who raped you from the time you were three to six? Can you? You cannot. Maybe even emotionally, you, you say, I can't forgive him. I cannot forgive My husband who beat me, or my wife who left me, I can never forgive them, see? Then you cannot be a contemplative. You cannot engage in this love of God. What you have to be is you have to be, you have to be open because you know something? God loves your grandfather. God loves your wife who left you. God loves your husband who beat you. Uh, and we also have to love them. We have to forgive them. And here's the, here's the curious thing that I insist on. There is nobody here, I don't care how emotional, how traumatic, how badly you have been hurt, there's no one who cannot be led to forgiveness. And, 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 and we can do it in an evening. May have been, this may have been a separation or a hatred that you have harbored in your heart for 50 years. You can be led to forgiveness. Uh, you cannot have one exception. You cannot say, I love everybody in the whole world except Jews. Or I love everybody in the whole world except this one terrorist. You can't do that. It's a, it is simply incompatible. So that's why a process... It, but the problem with forgiveness is people don't know how to do it. They think it's impossible. And, and that's my role, is to show you that it is not. Good. Let's get him out of here. All right, now, thank you. <laughs> um, put the verse up, Michael. Let's go back to the... That's, um, Let's take it from the top, as we say here. Um, now, in centering prayer, let's take a couple of minutes right now, all right? And, and uh, why don't we have, why don't we do a, a little uh, cliff note version of centering prayer, all right? Okay. And uh, you can lead us in. So we'll, we'll take those words, you know, let's take, you know, verse 6 there of Galatians 4. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And so it's a spirit that enables us to cry to Abba, Father. So why don't you just teach us those two words, and then I'll be the timekeeper, and we'll do uh, three minutes, all right, of, of silence. I, I prefer 20, but... He does, he does. <laughs> three. And uh, so, thank you. You're in my house now, buddy. All right, good. So, and... Uh, hey, uh, <laughs> I want you to... Just take those words, Abba, Father, given to you by God, all right? And, and you're going to pray those words, and they're going to be an expression of the fullness of your desire for God, okay? And so you're going to, you're going to sit as comfortably as you can uh, and, and uh, uh, close your eyes. And I, I want, along with your breathing, I want to say in your heart, as you inhale, Abba, as you exhale, Father. Now, realizing that when you're doing that, you're expressing your love for God and nothing else. You are simply 
loving God. By putting the words with your breathing, you you will realize that you cannot stop because you can't stop breathing. So unless you want to hold your breath for three minutes, uh, with your breathing, Abba, Father, okay? So close your eyes then and just sort of relax a little bit. Maybe take, take two or three deep breaths. O God, unto whom all hearts lie open, before whom desire is eloquent, and unto whom no secret thing is hidden, purify the thoughts of our hearts by the outpouring of your spirit, so we may love you with a perfect love and praise you as you deserve. God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying aloud, Abba, Father. And so begin your prayer. So as we close here, I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Let me ask you a final question, Father. So is it possible to be a contemplative software engineer, a contemplative teacher, a contemplative student, a contemplative social worker, a contemplative professor, a contemplative mom staying at home? It not only is possible, it's necessary uh, because your, your social work, your computerizing whatever it is you do for a living and whatever it is you do while living should proceed from the love of God and should end in the love of God. And so everything we do should be contemplative. Sometimes it is and you're not aware of it. I think maybe my purpose sometimes is just to make people aware of that. That's great. So I told someone walking out the first service, don't forget, uh, Father William has an iPad Yes, he does. I have it instead of a goose quill pen. <laughs> Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Father. I'm going to invite you all to stand with me. And I've asked Peter if we could sing the song we sang at the end of the worship set, You Are Everything, which I think is what we're talking about here this morning a life where he really is everything. And this actually comes out of the prayer of St. Patrick, I believe. And uh, it's a very, words are very rich. My living, my breathing, my waking, my sleeping, that really is our goal. Let's worship together. You know, it's a great privilege for us to have exposure to a Trappist. really is a great gift, a great gift for our young people. I pray, I'm going to work that we can get him exposed to our children. Maybe a tremendous gift. Um... God must have something for you, for me, for us, to have taken us on this very mad journey. You know, monasticism is like madness to the culture in which we live in. But there's something I know deep in your heart and my heart that says yes to this longing for God. And as he said, we're very rich, the fact that we even have any kind of longing for Christ. 
So as we close here, you know, there's a, there's a brochure on your way out. that We've got some copies downstairs. It's what's going to happen the next three evenings with Father William? It'll be here in the sanctuary, 7 to 9 p.m. And uh, God bless you if you're able to make it. Any of the nights will be a great gift, all the nights uh, with him. So we're just uh, we're thankful you're here, Father William. Thank you. So as we close, um, I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward to my left. And um, if you've been very stirred by today, and you may just need prayer because you recognize there's such turbulence and stormy weather going on inside of you, and uh, you're crying out, and you, you just, that's why we're here, we're standing together, come for prayer, whatever it might be, then we'll pray for you. We have the Lord's Supper to your right, and as Jesus said, you know, when you gather together, this is my body, this is my blood, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me, and he's here in these elements, and we invite you as we close our service to come and partake of the bread and the cup, and ingest and take in Jesus, okay, through that sacrament, through that great gift of, of communion as he is present here with us. All right, so I'm going to invite uh, Father William to come and speak a blessing over us uh, as we close here. And let's try to keep it somewhat quiet here in the sanctuary, and we can chat outside and the book table and downstairs, okay? You can use us, Father William, if you like. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his light to shine upon you. May the Lord show his countenance to you and give you his peace, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.